This is Sounds Like Teen Spirit with your host, Charlie Fat, presented by Brushes on Slice Radio. Thank you, Jim. I'm Charlie Fat. This is Sounds Like Teen Spirit. Thanks for joining me here on Slice Radio and via podcast. Now, this is a very special edition of the show because I'm joined by a special guest. You might know him as the Triple J Breakfast Show host. You might know him from Mind Twist. You might know him from Channel V. And you might know him as a general goose. It's Maynard. Welcome, Maynard. That's right. I'm the head of the Goose Army, General Goose, reporting for duty. Look, it's great to be here, Charlie. And look, say hello to all the fat, Mrs. Fat, uh, uh, fat number one, and of course, fat number two. Oh, we're all fat around here. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I tell you what, Slice Radio is kicking goals in the orange area. It certainly is. Where we're, I tell you what, this show is going to be uh, slightly outside of the normal boundaries for the Slice Radio programming. Yeah, you think, people? Yeah, think. It's almost out of the normal bounds for for this show. Uh, As you know, this is normally 90s alternative music. We're going to be talking about some 90s stuff, but we're pretty much just giving you open slather to have a bit of fun with us today. Look, we are going to have some fun. It's going to be 90s alternative alternative. In fact, you'll hear tracks you may have heard before and you might learn something about them. You'll have heard tracks today that you will never want to hear again and we've done your public service. But one thing we are offering you today, and that is a warning from musical history. That's correct. And I think it's going to be the only time Sammy Davis Jr. is ever going to be played on Slice Radio. Oh, come on a minute. I bet you someone would have had to have played him doing Candyman by now. Look, he's got two of the greatest smoke in the green room, go out, do one show, everybody loves you, go back, and then just bow at the end parts, which of course is singing Candyman in the Willy Wonka movie, and the one we will be playing later. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, that's that's at the end of the show. Oh, no, let's not have that. No, look, look. I know a lot of people are expecting uh, Dita Von Teese as your guest today, um, and uh, all the uh, rumours about me and her are true in that I've never met her in my life. Uh, so, no, she couldn't make it today. You've got me instead. Oh, well, that, that's perfectly fine by me. Let's go back to the Castanet Club. Um, I, I'll tell you what, my, my entry into the world of Maynard is around the 90s, early 90s. So I would have been listening to you on The Breakfast Show, which you kicked off in the in the late 80s for that. Was that correct? Yeah. Look, uh, uh, there's, there's a really nice brief one-page description of my career, which I'm amazed I was able to get one A4 page out of it actually on my on the mainard.com.au website, which I had to rejig a bit. And because you know, you know, when you when you get first get out of school, you just add everything to CV you've ever done. And I don't know if anyone's really interested in my 15 second ad for aspartame that I did once. So I, I took little things like that out and the uh, banana mini wheats ad that I did standing on top of the big banana. I took those sort of things out. But I think you're roughly right. I think I started at Triple J in 1985 doing Midnight to Dawn and I started doing weekend breakfast there, I think around about. I really don't know, 87 maybe? And then went to uh, full breakfast about 88 or 89 and went through to Helen and Mikey started, which was 93, something like that. Yeah, so it was about four years on breakfast in which I got about four hours sleep. Uh, and it's about that time I would have uh, become aware of you and I would have followed you through to, um, I, I guess, the main art heyday for me which is uh your weekend shows so sunday afternoon fever and things like that but before triple j uh there was the castanet club which is something that i've only just gotten into i have the album i've got the book did want to go to the exhibition but um uh, i don't think i'll be getting there anytime soon tell us about the castanet club and and neither 
Neither will anybody else, unfortunately. The Newcastle Museum has the Castanet archives and have had for ages, like a shipping container full of things and items. And we were just, we were just, we really documented ourselves well in every way, except perhaps video. But since we were going from like 1982 through to 1991, shooting your own video wasn't all that easy. I'm amazed we actually shot the amount of video that we did. A lot of it's had to be converted from professional grade uh, tapes, which when you look at them now, they're not professional at all. They're not they're not HD or anything. But yeah, basically the Castanet Club kicked off in 82 because there was a uh, sort of surf punk band called The Musical Flags that I was also involved with and they finished up and, uh, and Steve later to become Sandman and a whole bunch of other people uh, wanted to have a club called the actual Castanet Club. There was a physical Castanet Club in Newcastle and we ran it on Monday nights and had guests from Sydney and we had needed a band to fill out the night. So the Castanet Club band became a band and then we ended up just doing the whole show ourselves and traveling around Australia. We never actually played outside of Newcastle till 1984 when we went to the Adelaide Festival and we just turned up there and because we'd been doing so many shows we just threw everything into our show. I think our first show at the Adelaide Festival, the Little Sisters Cabaret Room there, on North Terrace I think it was on, uh, was um, about three hours long um, with no interval. Um, so the second night we trimmed it back a bit but we had a lot of fun just playing around we basically did lots of goofy covers some originals and a whole bunch of sort of not sketches but characters would do various things it's where Shirley Purvis came from although Shirley Purvis did exist before the Castanet Club we just gave her a venue to play in and, and Angela Moore who now writes for Play School and she was in play school for many years perhaps you saw her on there Charlie just tell us a little bit about uh, your role in in the Collective is that the right word? Collective. Well, we yeah we were sort of a, a roughly uh, we are we're a collective. I think we even called ourselves to ourselves a bit. We thought we were a bit of a socialist collective there, really, because um we um we would take general votes on things, uh, and also like uh, back then, and this is going to be pretty difficult for anybody involved in the contemporary Australian music scene at all. We were offered a number of kind of lucrative commercials for stuff like Daryl Lee chocolates, um, Honda step-through motorbikes, things like that, mopeds, and we turned them down because we believed that to use your talents to sell products was morally wrong. So try telling anybody under 40 that today. As I like to say, the talent and enduring appeal of the Castanet Club is mainly due to the fact that I did very little in it, Charlie. Let me tell you, um, I did trombone playing, dancing up the back, and I took a shitload of photos. Um, I was an industrial photographer at the BHP for a while, and I had my own little Nikon F3, which was state-of-the-art 35mm camera at the time. Uh, and I just snapped away, and I would have taken thousands of slides, of photos, of uh, two and a quarter square negs, all sorts of things. And I documented our whole existence, as did many others. Uh, so that's why at the exhibit that was at Newcastle Museum that no one's ever going to see, um, there's just so many photos. About two-thirds of them are mine. I had a look at them. Uh, I mean, better photographers than me took photos of the Castanecla, that's for sure. Stuart Campbell, one in Sydney. But yeah, basically, I took a lot of photos, played a lot of trombones, and did a lot of stupid dancing, Charlie. And if you want proof of the dancing, uh, check out the Castanet Club movie. I believe you weren't 
in the group anymore by the time the movie was made, but there is a a cameo of you uh, stage invading, I guess. They they brought me back. They brought me back just for that and uh, and, and paid for it too. That, and that was one of the few projects the Castanet Club was, was quite well paid for was the movie. And it's a really good documentation of what the Castanet Club was all about. It's like if you do something for 10 years or more and then you film it, you better be good at it. And everyone's fantastic at it. The band is tight, well rehearsed, and I'm not playing a single note, which is why it sounds so good. <laughs> Let's move on and play some music then. Uh, Maynard, I've given you uh, the power to choose anything you like. We're going to play some Castanet Club. What would you like us to play? Well, we're going to play a real two winners here. Now, um, Now that you get the seed because I actually have just converted the album to a CD and put some extra tracks on that. You have that, sir, do you? I do. I have the original Castanet Club album on vinyl. Which is shot up. It's shot up on Discogs. It used to be like five or ten bucks, and it's gone up to twenty-five dollars. Well, that's that's the price that I paid in the past month or so. Oh well, see, you're you're artificially skewing the market. It's it's investors like you that that, that ruin the housing market in Australia. I mean, houses houses used to be five to ten dollars. Now they're twenty-five. My copy strangely came with all of the original trimmings, um, little little inserts for the fan club. Well, we made we made look, we made sure that. All the inserts were put in there to every single one. And I think most people who, who would have bought the record, but people just didn't buy it on spec. You had to be like a fan to buy it at the time. Uh, and also, there, it was also out on cassette. I've actually got to get onto Discogs and put what the cassette looks like because it looks pretty funny on cassette. And we only released another cassette-only release after that, which is also on the CD that you've got, which you can't get anywhere. I'd just like to stress that. So, so what do you want to play first? We're going to play Wuthering Heights second because that's such a winner. What do you want to play first? I, I suggested Venus, Aquarius. What do you want to go with, Charlie, Charlie baby? Let, let's go with some Venus followed by Wuthering Heights. Mayna, would you like to introduce the songs for us? This is Venus, influenced by the Tom Jones version of Venus with the smooth voice of Lance Norton, the velvet out the front singing, and it was recorded in the Empty Q Theatre one afternoon before we did a whole bunch of shows, and this has been beautifully remastered from a reel-to-reel tape. That's right, open reel tape. Kids, try and look at that and have a listen to the Venus, and that will be followed by the beautiful Natasha Bassey doing her version, uh, a real name, of course, Jacqueline Armady. Look her up on um, both SoundCloud and Bandcamp, Jacqueline her, her version of Wuthering Heights with the Castanet Club backing. It is really good because I'm not involved in it, although in this version of Venus, I am playing the trombone. So listen for some bum notes as the Castanet Club brings you up with Venus and really flips your wig with Wuthering Heights. <laughs> She's got it! 
This is Sounds Like Teen Spirit with Charlie Fat, presented by Brushes on Slice Radio.
I'm Charlie Fat. This is Sounds Like Teen Spirit, the Maynard special, joined in the studio by Maynard today. That was two tracks from the Castanet Club. Firstly, Venus featuring Maynard on trombone and Wuthering Heights not featuring Maynard on trombone. With the uh, beautiful vocal from Jacqueline Armady known as Natasha Bassey. And I, I think that's a great version. And it's a real pity we couldn't fit that on the original album. But back in those days, you only had... Uh, six tracks on either side for vinyl, and that was it. Oh, of course, of course. L- limited by the size of a record, yes? That's correct, yeah. The CD wasn't available. Uh, that, I think, Well, yeah, we did it in 86. So, yes, pressing a CD for an amateur band in 86 just wasn't happening. Well, we're moving on now. We're actually going to go to the 90s. So we're actually, for a very brief period today, sitting in the theme of the show. Uh, Maynard, I know that if there was, uh, if you were going to be on Mastermind, there would only be... A couple of topics that I reckon you, you'd win on. I, I, let me guess. One of them would be the village people, do you think? C- correct, except it's village people. They're a collective noun. Oh, oh sorry. Village people or, or the, the kings of disco, as they're only allowed to call themselves now. And uh, I reckon the second one would be right said Fred. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. There we go. I got my I got my no agenda correct buzzer. So yes, that's correct. And in case things get a bit spooky, I've got my haunted harmonica. Anyway, <clears throat> yes, that'd be correct. Right, said Fred, because they had such an influence on me. Uh, I first heard "I'm Too Sexy" when I went overseas because I went there twice, uh, twice to Edinburgh. First was with the Castanet Club in 1984, slumming it like you wouldn't believe, no hot water, all that sort of thing in Princess Street. Second time when I went back, I was on Triple J and actually had enough money to stay in a real hotel, which I did. And the Doug Anthony All-Stars came to visit all the time. And in fact, many of them pretended they were me and uh, cashed traveller's checks at the desk downstairs. But that's another story. That is another story. So that's where you first uh, heard, right, said Fred? Yes. In fact, I have a, a video eight tape of me filming a clock radio with I'm Too Sexy coming out of it. It was like, I thought, what the hell? This song is the stupidest, funniest, best thing I've ever heard in my life. And then, of course, it was on MTV UK then. And I thought, this is just fantastic. And so I just really liked it. It was it basically is one of the perfect pop novelty songs of all time. The fact that they had to release it on their own label and no one would actually pick it up, I thought was weird. Of course, Wright said Fred have copped it a lot lately because they're serious libertarians and they're highly anti-mask in the UK. That's correct. I unfortunately have recently unfollowed them on Twitter because... I couldn't quite stand their uh, stance on um, lockdowns and, and masks. Um, so I'm just going to remember mm. them the way uh, I want to remember them, which is probably with their shirts off singing I'm Too Sexy. Well, yeah, um, yeah, it's one of those things. You know, I, I like their art but don't agree with their politics. So if I ever met them, I think I don't think I'd talk politics with them. But, yeah, and I certainly don't agree with them. Um, I don't know if they're anti-vax or not. It wouldn't surprise me if they were, but I I think it's the authoritarian nature of the thing that they... But anyway, I'm not going to talk about that thing. But if you want to know all about them, I did an interview with them um, a couple of years ago, and it pretty much covers their entire career. And uh, I just like the fact that they've got such a great sense of humour about themselves. Like, if people take the piss out of them, they don't mind. And, you know, people seem to think that they're broke... Uh, and in fact, far from it. They actually earned most of their money by something I don't really quite understand, but it's called synchronization. So yes, they made about six million pounds directly from the sales of I'm Too Sexy, but they've made probably double that by it being used for various commercials or being used at 
mass events or or yeah or being used in movies so you know they're not laughing their way to the bank they're uh, they're they're going there on a high speed train and i think most people in australia would consider right said fred to be a a one hit wonder but in the uk certainly far from it correct that's that's right yes and oddly enough also in germany so it's a bit like uh, there's a lot of artists that are big in, as is uh, jacqueline hammerty actually from the casting club who are uh, do well in germany and they really have something to do with that they that they do their songs at soccer matches and stuff like that for some reason so you've never met the, the fellas from Right Said Fred? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were on a Sunday Afternoon Fever episode uh, on the one time they were in Australia, and they popped into the studios just before they went to Australia's Wonderland in Sydney and did a show. Well, you know what? The, the, the world is a very small place because that is a place that Charlie Fat worked. Uh, I was a roller coaster operator um, in the early 90s at Australia's Wonderland. But I must say... Isn't that a metaphor for the 90s? I was a roller coaster operator. <laughs> right, okay. that's, that's right. Everyone else was uh, delivering pizzas and uh, doing normal jobs, and I, uh, I was checking seatbelts and uh, cleaning up vomit. <laughs> Just think, people's safety of their life was in your hands. That, that, now, that's the real roller coaster ride. That, that that is scary and i don't remember right said fred being there the closest i came to uh fame I was pretty close actually one night uh i was operating the demon roller coaster which was the the loop the loop one there mm-hmm. and uh, i was asked to stay back because some musical guests that were performing down in the park that evening wanted to go on the roller coaster but on their own so i I stayed back left the ride on and uh the members of take that wandered up and um i got to meet uh uh, robbie and uh the other one and the other one and the other one and the other one and gary and uh they gave me uh they gave me they gave me their loose belongings which just literally hotel keys they went on the roller coaster and then i had to turn the roller coaster off walk them to the pirate ship, put them on the pirate ship ride, give them their hotel keys back, and that was my uh, brush with uh, mega fame. Wow. I remember all the girls going crazy and chasing them all over Sydney at the time. Yeah. Would they have done that for Right Said Fred? Well, here's an even better story than that. Um, They uh, uh, At the Paragon, they did a meet and greet, and... uh, uh, and they oh and uh, oh the lead singer writes it for he said um he said oh um take me to the good clubs in town and I knew he was uh, quite bisexual so I thought well we're going to take you to uh, oh um oh what is it the um oh the up oh now I can't even think of it the the big gay club in Oxford Street that is no more that used to be upstairs that I can't remember the name I'm, I can't remember Oh, anyway, it's it's now the Universal. Anyway, um, so went there with him and basically introduced him, and like was it was like royalty. The sea parted, all these sweating bodies just parted, and he basically had a singlet on anyway. And uh, and uh, we had a drink or two there, and I left him there, and he had a fabulous night. And 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 previously, all the girls had been all over him at the Paragon. So yeah, that that is great definition of a, a good bisexual. It's probably why he doesn't want to wear a mask. Well, could well, I mean, I, if they ask him to put a shirt on, I think that's a problem. <laughs> it's a big problem. And and the second song we're going to play here is "Stick It Out," which is one you don't hear from Right Said Fred. But this was the one they did for Red Nose Day in the UK. And uh, I think the film clip starts with a close up of the of the back of his head with um. 
fat bum written on the back of his head, which I think is always a good thing. And there's lots of uh, people from, uh, oh, Carry On Movies and things like that. More of the older school of people got into this film clip. Uh, and I thought it's quite good. Lots of uh, single on tons in it. And uh, it's uh, one of my favourites of theirs. It never really gets played because they're basically a good time fun band. And some of their recent stuff has been a bit more serious, obviously, but they're... On their last album, they had a great track, and it was the track was called "I Don't Want to Die Right Now," <laughs> and um, I, that, that is a fun track. So there are some good fun tracks for Right Said Fred if you can look past their political, uh, uh, you know. Think, sorry, I just saw someone look like a dog was going to poop on my lawn. I was going to give him a problem, but no, because I've had a pooping lawn dog problem here. You sure it's not a poo jogger? Oh, I checked that. No, no, it's definitely it's definitely a large bulldog or something like that. So, so, yeah, and, and I'm here in the opticon of poo, just making sure that if there's any dogs, I go, Aruga, out there, or I play the trombone or something like that. I go, hey, 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 careful with that cloaca, I say. Well, we're going to head out now and uh, poo on our lawns, respectively, while you enjoy two tracks of Right Said Fred, I'm Too Sexy, and stick it out. I'm too sexy for my love. Too sexy for my love. Love's going to leave me. Cat. I'm too sexy. 
This is Sounds Like Teen Spirit with Charlie Fat, presented by Brashes on Slice Radio. I tell you what, relief, said Fred, pop pickers. Stick it out, right, not off. When you're on the doctor's couch, you've got to stick it out. You want to be a world champ, you've got to stick it right out So don't be afraid to risk it You know you must stay optimistic You're gonna laugh <laughs> if you stick it out says white people have no rhythm clean your teeth with your feet hug a bus or two take a sprout for a walk make a sand igloo and if they fail to see it stick it out so they can feel it you're gonna laugh <laughs> yeah if you stick it out You can help somebody you may never meet For example, why not just skip with balloons between your knees? Those aren't balloons, actually. Oh, yeah! From the top of a tall erection Building, building, it's a building. You can hear a shout in your direction Stick it out And make yourself laugh Whenever laugh Stick it out. How many times did your mum and dad say to you? Stick it out! If you can't stick it in, then stick it out too. Fred is, he's too hasty. Now you never get nowhere if you're too hasty. So what are you going to do, Fred? You have got to stick it out. Stick it out! Stick it out! That was right, said Fred, with I'm too sexy and stick it out. I'm here with Maynard. We're moving on to another iconic band, probably not in Maynard's top two, but I reckon it would be in his top five. Let's talk about Banana Rama. Oh, I'm big, I was a big Siobhan fan. Oh, yes. Big Siobhan 
fan. And of course, um, uh, one of them uh, paired up with Andrew Ridgely. Another one paired up with paired up with Dave Stewart. I think someone did better than the other. Let's talk about Andrew Ridgely for a second. Now, I'm pretty sure you've told me that he is possibly the worst guest you've ever had on a show. Yeah. I wouldn't say worst. I would say he was he was quite arrogant. There was him and uh, Wendy James, but Wendy James warmed up. Um, Andrew didn't, and I I don't know why. I wasn't having a go at him or anything. I, I think people had been having a go at him during his publicity tour, and he came. And uh, there was some rumor that his um his jacket that was on the Son of Albert album his solo album, which you've all got, um, had gone missing during that night as well. So he might have been just in a bad mood, but he certainly, yeah, he certainly was taking himself very seriously the morning I met him on uh, Breakfast Radio on Triple J, yeah. Well, just a reminder, folks, that Andrew Ridgely's debut album, Son of Albert, is available in bargain bins everywhere. I actually do have a copy of it somewhere. Um, I think there's one good song, maybe. Red Dress, Shake You. Shake it, something like that. Shake, I think shake it, which was the single. I think yes, that wasn't too bad. But but I can just see him and the other member of Banana Rams having gin about eleven o'clock on a Saturday night, going man, mm. saying 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 bad things about the other bad mem- band members who did them wrong. Which you know, yeah, I you know, I, I can kind of understand that. But I think they did pretty good. Uh, what is it about Banana Rama that uh, floods your boat, Maynard? Well, as Bob Down has famously said, they are the most important and most popular all-female group in history to sing in unison. That's right. No harmonies exist here. Um, there, there may be in some of them. Um, yeah, and and I just love the fact that even from their beginnings, they and the title of their album, Deep Sea Skiving, just mucking about. Um, I think there's just something I like. I would love to be in a group where every morning you just get a list poked under your five-star hotel door that tells you what you're doing that day. And um, and then you go, oh, that's nice. And then you go and do it. You talk to people, do interviews, finish up early, hopefully, and then go to the bar or do a show. And you're with your two other best mates and you have a great time and you go around the world. Sounds pretty good to me. It sounds like a smaller version of the Castanet Club without having to do any originals. Well, there's no doubt that they probably were one of the hardest partying groups uh i have i don't think the word fond memory is correct but i have certainly have memories of uh i think we're talking the 90s here a bananarama gig at the metro in sydney my friends and i went along because we were right into the 80s scene i think by this point there was only two members of bananarama and maynard you were on the bill as the dj we uh the place was heaving heaving it wasn't. It wasn't quite the night everybody expected. No. Well, we waited. Um, you know, bought our drinks, danced to to your music, Maynard. Finally, the time time came for Banana Ramas. Uh, I think we thought was going to be a performance, but I think what they had in the contract was appearance. They promptly lip synced to Venus not once but twice, and then went home. Yes, and I didn't meet them backstage but i saw them backstage and that was a hell of a good rider they had <laughs> that was one of the best riders i've seen uh, the uh, the the dressing room wasn't all that big but half the dressing room was taken up with the drinks area and there was only two of them at the time that's true uh, yes and uh, look and it was an appearance so i think that was the problem is that, that it had been built as a gig so it was probably their set was probably no longer than half an hour would you say uh, look i think it w- wouldn't have been more than half an hour and it was venus twice and maybe one other song so we certainly did not get their greatest hits 
package so much so I believe you then kind of had to play a lot of Banana Rama songs just to keep the crowd settled so then we'd all go home. Yes, um, because uh, I think it might have been a free FM gig as well when I was doing uh, Breakfast on Free FM, which was one of the show, uh, radio stations trying to get a licence in Sydney at the time. And and that was the, the gay station. There was two. There was that and another one, and both of those licences got ignored and they gave it to FBI is actually what happened with that. Um, but, yeah, I was doing Breakfast at the time and it was going to be a huge weekend with Banana Rama and they did that and I thought, well... Because, you know, you obviously can't play Banana Rama songs before they come on, but since Banana Rama didn't do them, um, you know, I wouldn't have automatically thought to have brought my Banana Rama CD as they were actually playing there, but I did, and played the songs and it kind of went well, and they had a full-on dance party after that. So the night turned out to be quite fine. It just wasn't what people expected. I saw them at the Horden Pavilion in 89, I think, when they were out, and I interviewed Jackie. Uh, the new member, which is also at maynard.com.au. There's an interview with her. Or And uh, there's that question that probably has not really been asked much since 1989 of most people in a celebrity interview, and that is, do you carry condoms when you go out? Because uh, the AIDS crisis was, uh, as was, on every, it was what everyone was asking about. So, so safe sex was the big thing to talk about with celebs. Of course. And uh, so we, we, by the time we get to the 90s, uh, the stock Aitken Waterman years probably were almost over. Yes, I think the Pop Pop Life might have been the album that was out at that time, and I don't think that was a stock Aitken Waterman album. I think I think Youth did produce that one. Right. So we we we'd had that sort of heyday of, of Venus. Uh, I want you back. Um, mm. Love in the first degree. Siobhan buggers off. Jackie joins. Uh, I think they might have re-recorded some vocals so she could be on the cover. Uh, we have one more album with Jackie. And then um, Jackie's gone pretty quickly after that, yeah? Yes, and she was in a band called the Shillelagh Sisters before the Banana Rama. And uh, have a look at that. Uh, I've, I've got a picture cover of the Shillelagh Sisters, and they had a great little song. And again, they look like people who look like they were having a fun time in a band as well. And that's the thing. Banana Rama was a, a fun time band. If you're going there expecting intricate harmonies and overly intricate production, although Stockake and Mordman was in a very pop way, very intricate. Uh, look, I, I think that... And look, I think the Help film clip with... Uh, uh, is it French and Saunders is fantastic. Oh, that's right. They were billed as, was it Banana Rama with Lanani Nani Nunu? Nunu, 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 yes. Yes, that, that's pretty funny too. Uh, and quite, uh, and, and you know, again, they had a sense of humour about themselves. I really like their very first song, which was all in Japanese. Is it in Japanese or, or Swahili? Um, you're right. You're, I think you're right it's in Swahili, but I'm not quite sure. But it was really big in Japan, so that's why I got quite confused about it. And the live versions of it is great. And last time I saw them, when they were at the Enmore Theatre in the before days, I saw them live there. And that was one of the best shows I've seen. Sure, they're not really big on talking in between tracks, but their choreography was down. Like you, like when we saw them in the 90s there, at that that was not, not a good show for them, I wouldn't have thought. That, but this time, the two of them, every, every single bit of the choreography was exactly like the film clip. And in fact, I think the best film clip you can find online is them at the Brit Awards doing I Think I Want You Back with a whole bunch of gorgeous guys in in swim trunks 
And it's a, a complete inversion of like, instead of like, you know, the Robert Palmer thing, it's like a whole bunch of guys just being subservient on their knees doing sort of Pilates moves in front of them as they sang, I want you back in very glam. It's a pretty glam thing. And I think even, I think Ben Elton introduces it. I'm not quite sure, but that is a great clip. Uh, but yes, we're going to hear from uh, I Want You Back, which I think is a great track too. And uh, we, did we decide on Long Train Running, did we? Yeah, tell me about that one. That's from... Oh, I'm trying to remember if that's pop. I think that's Pop Life. That's from the Pop Life early 90s one. And it's a cover of the Doobie Brothers song. And there has been some great dance versions of this. And it's pretty good. The production, I think, by youth in this is quite good. Uh, they're singing up a storm. And it's just a sing-along a doobie. With, sing-along a doobie with Banana Rama. And also, they came to the Mad Club one Monday night. And here's a story I have to tell you, listeners. Um, I, we didn't expect them. Um, I don't think we played any Banana Rama that night as we were a 70s club. Um, and I had a good chat with Jackie. There's actually a photo up on the Mad Club Facebook page of me and, and Jackie from Banana Rama. And uh, Tony pushes in the background waving a burnt bit of toast, uh, photo bombing the whole thing. And uh, it was Monday night, of course, and uh, they were having a great time and they wanted to know where the party was afterwards. And uh, as we pointed out, it was in fact uh, 3.30 a.m. Tuesday morning at this point, And there wouldn't be many places in the world that would actually have a club open at 3.30am on a Tuesday morning. Probably maybe New York, maybe London, but that'd be about it. Maybe t Bangkok, that'd be about it. Um, so yeah, so they were very disappointed there was nowhere to go in Sydney at 3.30am on a, on a Tuesday morning. But now there's nowhere to go in Sydney at 9.30am on a Saturday night. Let's hear Bananarama with I Want You Back and Maynard's Choice from the Pop Life album, Long train running. And the great thing is with Banana Rama, you don't have to know the words, just go woo woo in the background, you'll be fine. Do your own choreography at home, I know I will.
this is Sounds Like Teen Spirit with your host, Charlie Fat, presented by Brushes on Slice Radio. back i'm charlie fat this is sounds like teen spirit we are way off course barely playing 90s music but hey we're having fun i'm here with maynard and we're going to talk about the electric six. Oh, look it look look the show's stuffed people if you tuned in for the normal thing just come back next week i'm sure there'll be someone important here um oh look and by the way i'm, I'm maynard from other things i'm not the guy from tool although i have been described as one not by me 
No, not by you, but I just thought I'd get that in early. So, oh, <laughs> And I don't make wine. I just wine, okay? Oh. <laughs> well, Dick Valentine, the, uh, the lead singer of the Electric Six that we're going to talk about now, who were actually formed in the 90s. So we are getting back on track in some ways here. In some ways. Now, you might know them again. I think, okay, maybe a two-hit wonder, but they are still going. Um I, I don't know how many. Yep, 13, 13 albums. I don't know how many original members have made it through to the end. Maybe just the singers <laughs> who that's, that's left. Well, look, look, look. If I went to see them, I'd, as long as they did these two songs and they mucked around, and said some stupid stuff, I'd be happy. A bit like they might be giants. They might be giants can play anything because between the songs, they are so damn entertaining. One of my favorite groups as well. Yes, but as long as they play. Uh, Birdhouse, Anna Ng, and Don't Let's Start. I think everyone will be happy. Maybe Istanbul? Look, the one I like is the um, 13 different tracks of various few seconds length off the Apollo 18 album, is it? Um, Fingertips, I think it's known as. That is correct. And unfortunately, I don't have an original pressing of that CD because if you have an original pressing, uh, those 13 little tracks are individual tracks on the CD. That's correct. So when you press the shuffle feature, you'll get a different album each time. But the later prints uh well i don't know if you print a cd the later burnings of oh. of, of cds uh including my version it's all just one track so i do oh. not have an original pressing of that album oh because i used to love doing that because one of the songs is what's that blue thing over there and and, and, and when they do that as 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 although it's just fantastic um everything everything's catching on fire End of track. The only band to cash in on the uh, shuffle feature phenomenon of the uh, 90s. Look, there was a, a great 90s joke about when you did have the uh, the CD on the on the random feature, which my current CD player doesn't have, unfortunately. Um, in fact, uh, 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 when Jack Amity was over here, uh, Natasha Bassey, she, was, she went, wow, CDs, haven't seen them this century. <laughs> and it was like, oh, well, that's uh, well. Let me show you my books. Then that'll really wow you. But a nineties thing was also hidden tracks, right? So either uh, a song that's not listed, yeah. The X the X Files album, the X, the X Files album, yes, where you had to put the CD in and then go backwards to hear it. So track. there were hidden tracks before the album started, and hidden tracks mm. after the album ended. Like uh, like the Smells Like Teen Spirit album has that, doesn't it? I think it does. So I don't know what they do with uh, digital sort of streaming versions of these albums, whether they just disclose that it's there or mm, um, you're right. some, some of these things came with like five minutes of silence before the song kicked in. Well, yes, which they would just, just put on there. And Weird Al did the same thing on his, end, uh, on his uh, uh, Smells Like Nirvana album. Uh, basically, he did the same thing and his track was called Bite Me that he put at the end. And it's just uh, 20 seconds of noise of and a piano being thrown downstairs and everything. And it abruptly stops. And it only sucked me in once because you only get a hell of a shock like that once. <laughs> and, and unlike the Nirvana track, it's designed to scare the shit out of you, which it did. I, I, guess, uh, I think I fell asleep and it was like on full volume and suddenly, it's, yeah, it was fantastic. Good on you, Al. He's, he's, you should play more Weird Al on your show. Oh, I think there's enough Weird Al there for a uh, a whole show's worth, I would think. 
I'll be more than happy. By this interview with Weird Al and Weird Al's fans at Maynard.com.au because I went to try and chat to him at the last show and because I didn't have it organised properly, I couldn't get through to him. So I just spoke to all his fans and what they thought about him and the show and everything and that's pretty bloody entertaining on its own. He does put on, a, I think the tour before that, I was in the front row centre. How's that for a nerdy thing to do? Front row centre for a Weird Al gig, but he does put on an... Excellent show, and his musos are fantastic. They can play anything. Oh, yeah, and plus, you know, he's been with that band since he started. They're pretty much the longest continuous band that's been together in that. Uh, look, they are great. I mean, and Bermuda, Bermuda Swartz, the drummer, I think runs his uh, website and everything. But I really, really wanted, and it was just, you couldn't get it, was his um, Weird Al boxed set that came out as an accordion. It looks like you've got a small accordion sitting on your on your table. The, w- w- which... I- and it won the Grammy Award for Best Artwork that year. I did see that, and it was very expensive. Shall we talk about the Electric Six? Well, why not? That's that's what the script says. Well, oh, look, I've picked the two ones from their Fire album. I think it was 2001, so only just outside the 90s, even though the band started in the 90s. Um, Danger High Voltage, which film clip has the wildly illuminated codpiece and riding on the horse. And, uh, and Gay Bar, which, again, like Wright said, Fred's I'm Too Sexy, is possibly one of the most perfect pop songs ever. And it knocks it over in, I think, 2 minutes 30 or 2 minutes 50, even beating Wright said, Fred. And when you listen to this on headphones, and I do suggest that, listener, there's a floor tom that's just going... And it's just relentless. There's a floor tom going there that playing's tight. There's light and shade. Ladies and gentlemen... The Electric Six. This music will get you laid. So 
This is Sounds Like Teen Spirit with Charlie Fat, presented by Brushes on Slice Radio. was the electric six with danger high voltage i've had so much fun with maynard today that we can't fit it into one episode no way we'll be back next time with part two of the uh, sounds like teen spirit maynard special see you then 
That was Sounds Like Teen Spirit with Charlie Fat, presented by Brushes on Slice Radio.